this is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we journey through a tiny letter from Paul with a big message to Philemon, enjoying Paul's lighthearted encouragement to live as Jesus would have us live. Yes, our journey through the New Testament brings us to the last of what is traditionally considered Paul's letters. Paul writes a short little letter here to Philemon about a runaway slave named Onesimus. And this short, often underappreciated... How many sermons have you heard on Philemon, Brent? Um, probably more than average, I think. Oh, yeah? I think a couple. Oh, wow. Nice. But Good work. That's how we roll in our circles, I guess. Yeah. This is often an underappreciated letter and uh, has actually become one of my favorite letters in the New Testament. It really helps us fill in some gaps in history. Uh, it's neat to read. On uh, It's kind of such a personal correspondence. I know we talk about this on our turkey trips while we're at Colossae which we already talked about with the book of Colossians, obviously, but it's fun that you stand on this unexcavated tell, if you remember, and you read so much biblical content about characters that lived and were there at Colossae. So that's pretty cool. So for a few things I love to unpack, let's, let's start with unpacking. Let's talk about citizenship, like Roman citizenship, because we know uh, who happens to be a Roman citizen relevant to this conversation. Brent. Paul. Paul, which I think we take that for granted because of our American context of citizenship. It is not easy to be a Roman citizen. There are essentially three ways you can become a Roman citizen. You are you are either born a Roman citizen, which is not as simple as just being born geographically in the Roman Empire. Like if you're born in the United States, you're, you're an American citizen. That's not how it works in the ancient Roman Empire. In that empire, you actually had to be born into the empire to parents who were citizens, like they needed to be citizens of Rome, um, Rome, the city or the greater Roman empire. When Rome came in and conquered a people, they did not become citizens quite, quite adamantly and intentionally the opposite. If you were a conquered people, you were not Roman citizens and you were denied citizenship. So then there's only two other ways that you can become Roman citizens and Jews are not Roman citizens. Jews are a conquered people. The Jewish people were a conquered People Sometimes if a country, say, surrendered to Rome, like, say, um, Lysimachus of the Greek Empire, and he wills his country to Rome, a part of that treaty, a part of that arrangement is often or can be Roman citizenship. So they surrender, they will their country over to Rome, and a part of the agreement is that all those people are now citizens of the Roman Empire. If you are a conquered people, if you don't have one of those agreements, you can purchase your citizenship. You can buy it. If you remember in the book of Acts, uh, there's a Roman guard who, upon learning about Paul's citizenship, says, I I, I had to buy my citizenship. How did you get yours? And Paul announces, I was born a Roman citizen. But how can that be if Paul is from Tarsus, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin? There's only one other way that you become a Roman citizen. And that is actually through a process called manumission. Uh, if you were manumitted, if you were a slave at some point, the, the Roman Empire had different classes. You had classes above the citizen line. So if you were a citizen, you could either be a, a, a freeborn, which meant you were born a Roman citizen. You could be a decurion, 
which that decurion status was basically it had to do with the, the amount of money you had, the assets, the financial asset worth that you brought uh, out of the bank. So if you were wealthy enough, you were a decurion. If you were even more wealthy, you were an epicurean. And if you were even more wealthy than that, you were usually a, a senator. And those were your classes, senator, epicurean, decurion, and freeborn. Now, after that, you fall below the citizen line and you are a freedman, which is I'm free, but I'm not a citizen. I'm free, but I was probably at one point a conquered people, a slave of some kind, or you have slaves. So below the citizenship line, you have slaves and you have freedmen. If you were a slave that was such a good slave that your owners, the people that were your masters, decided to actually grant you freedom, that process was that that's called a manumitted slave and a manumitted slave comes with citizenship it was highly it was very rare that any owner would think so highly of a slave that they are then manumitted and they themselves don't receive citizenship they are a freedman but their children if you were manumitted that's a huge honor. Your children would be granted Roman citizenship. What's interesting is Jerome, which is 4th, 5th century. So that's late. It's, it's late. It's not. It's going to be church tradition. It's not going to be church history. There's a big gap. So how reliable can we say this is? I don't know. But Jerome in church history, church tradition, says that Paul's parents were manumitted. And that is how Paul got his citizenship. Now, I love that, not only because it's tradition, but it actually makes a ton of sense and would explain how Paul got the citizenship that keeps surprising everyone. Like, how are you a Roman citizen? It would explain that. But number three, it would add so much colorful backstory to Paul's biography, like where he comes from. If his parents, like think of all the things that Paul talks about, serving, think about a passage in Philippians 2 where Paul says, you know, taking on the very form of a servant, Jesus became you know, uh, obedient to the point of death. Like, think about that if that's coming from a person who is from a family of slaves who were such good slaves. Think of all the passages where Paul talks about slaves and masters, which we got all wound up in our culture about slavery. But think about it from Paul's perspective and Paul's context, if that's the story of his family. So I find that really relevant here as we talk about Philemon and Onesimus, this runaway slave, and it's going to become relevant directly here because Onesimus is a runaway slave. Now, a runaway slave is a dead slave. Like if you've run away, you're executed in the Roman Empire. Now you have, you have essentially three options. You have three options in if you're a runaway slave. If you're running away for what you believe are noble reasons. Now you better not put much trust in this. Because the low end of the stick, the low end of the pecking order, the injustice that slaves suffer. Do you think anybody in the Roman Empire, Brent, is fighting for a uh, Fighting for slaves? Uh, probably not. Yeah. Like if we know if we know how people on the margins are treated in our world, you can bet they're not treated any better in the Roman world. So if you thought you had a case that was that strong, you could do th- three things. If you didn't think you had a case that was that strong, you could just run away. You could try to run for your life. Now, Onesimus here runs to Rome to meet with Paul. So that's a pretty bad strategy if you're running away. If you're like trying to run away from the Roman Empire, you probably don't run to the capital city of the Roman Empire. So he's not taking option number one. Option number two is you can actually go plead your case to the Roman judiciary system and say, I have been mistreated 
my owner is a horrible person. I'm treated horribly. And I need to be, and you're probably not going to be granted your freedom. You're probably just going to be sold to some other owner, but it is an option. It's probably not going to go well for you. But if you think you have that strong of a case, you might do that. I mean, if you're lucky, maybe the, uh, maybe your owner is, has this terrible reputation and, and the judicial system is just waiting around for someone exactly. to come and give them a reason to remove them from yes. whatever. Absolutely. Like if you knew he was on the underside of a political situation, you may try to flex that to your – again, you're probably not going to get your freedom. But the other thing that you can do is we, we've talked, I think, in passing, Brent, about the Roman system of patronage. Like essentially this, you find somebody that is above you in the class system, and it's this I scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of a thing. I do favors for you, and you pull me up through the ranks. Well, the same idea worked here for a slave. A slave could go find a Roman citizen and lean on their citizenship and essentially ask them to speak on their behalf. Now, a lot of Roman citizens are not going to do that for a slave. It's not going to serve them well. But it seems like what Onesimus is doing here is Onesimus is whatever mistake he's made, he's run away from Philemon. And now he realizes, oh no. And he runs to Paul to essentially use Paul's citizenship to say, will you argue for me because I'm a dead slave? This is the context of the book of Philemon. And I've really strayed from my notes. So let me see what I've put down here. First, there are so many things to speculate about for the enjoyment of just pure Bible study. Church tradition holds that Paul's parents were manumitted slaves. To be manumitted meant you had to win such favor with your master that he purchased your freedom. The honor was so great that Roman citizenship was given to your children, although never to you. And this would certainly explain how Paul was born a citizen, as he describes in the book of Acts. I also love to speculate about the background of Onesimus. In the ancient Roman Empire, there was a profession of people who wandered about a vocation that where people wandered about in the field, the fields of exposed babies. In every Roman uh, major city outside the city gates, there was a field where people would expose the babies. Um, The the practice was known. It's a horrid practice known as sublatus. Um, I think in a lot of ways, I think we would draw parallels to the abortion issue today, where if a child was born... And, and you have to realize that if you're of a particular social status, let's say you're a decurion, and a decurion is one million sesterces in the bank, and let's say you have 1.2 million sesterces in the bank. If I have one child, those sesterces get passed on to them, and they retain their class. But if I had two children, Brent, what happens? Cuts in half, and, and then neither one of them have the status. Now, all of a sudden, both of my kids drop an entire social status if I can't gain the wealth by the time that I pass away. So oftentimes having too many children was a horrible thing and you would just get rid of them. Or if your children had, if if you had children born with Down syndrome, if they had some kind of defect, people didn't waste their time with children that weren't good enough. And so a, a very common Roman practice was to expose their babies in the fields of exposure. And again, that practice was called sublatus, if anybody wants to look that up. There was actually a, a Greek physician. Uh, his, his name was Seranus, uh, a Greek doctor, Seranus, who wrote a work titled How to Recognize a Child Worth Raising. And it instructed um, the people of this profession that would wander through the fields of exposure how to find like non-defected babies. All these babies are lying there dying. And there are some babies that are just rejected because... Somebody doesn't want an extra child. 
And so these people are wandering through the fields to find non-defected babies that they can then raise. They literally raise them in cages, much more like animals than like people. And they raise them to be professional slaves that when they come of age, they actually just sell them on the slave market. And that's how they make a living. They essentially make a living, and I'm not trying to be crude or to draw this out, but they make a living by wandering through the fields of exposure, finding non-defected babies, raising them to be healthy, strong slaves, and then selling. So they're not raised with nurture. They're not raised with education. They're raised with training to be a particular kind of human being, a particular kind of worker. But I wonder with a name like Onesimus, can you remember what Onesimus means in the Greek, Brent? Any memory there? Mm, not off the top of my head. The, the Greek word means useful. It's an interesting, it's an interesting name, and I have often wondered if Onesimus was actually the product of one of these slave traders, these slave raisers, who gave him a name like useful. If I want somebody on the slave, the selling block, I would name him useful. Uh, secondly, there's a there's certainly an air of humor in the letter to Philemon. A different note to come off of that last segue, but in in the way that Paul writes the letter to Philemon, there's certainly an air of humor in the letter. Almost every scholar I'm aware of, and every Bible teacher I've ever heard teach on Philemon, seems to recognize that the letter is drenched in Greek over the top sarcasm. Paul is writing this tongue in cheek letter to Philemon and laying it on really thick that he owes Paul his very life, quote unquote. And that even though he could command him to do the right thing, Paul is confident that Philemon will go above and beyond the call of faith. Not to mention that this letter is addressed to the entire congregation at Colossae, therefore forcing Philemon to read the correspondence publicly and give his answer to everyone listening. This leads to my third observation. There is a very Jewish conversation lying behind the plea of this letter to Philemon. In the Jewish world of the first century, there is a larger argument about why a person obeys the law. It was an argument between what was called the law works and faith works. One of the best ways to understand this argument in our culture is to consider the speed limit in our world. Some people might obey the speed limit because they would rather not get what, Brent? A ticket. I'd rather not get a ticket, rather not get consequences. caught. Consequences. Yeah, there's consequences. If they don't speed, they're not punished. And this understanding would be called law works. I'm obeying the law because I don't want to suffer the consequences. Of course, there might be others who follow the speed limit because they believe that ultimately it's just the right thing to do. It keeps everybody safe. It maintains order and is more efficient for your car. They would argue that things simply go better when you follow the rule. This understanding would be called faith works. Now, if we just think about it, Brent, if we go back to, let's say, our conversation on Galatians, right? We're, we're going back to Galatians, and there were some people that, that were find, trying to find their justification under the law. Which perspective does that fit the most, law works or faith works? Law works. Law works. And yet Paul was arguing that we Jews, we who are Jews, know that we're not justified that way. We're following the law for another reason. What would that would that be? Law works or faith works? Faith works. Faith works. So Paul's arguing for faith works all throughout the New Testament. And it's worth pausing here for just a moment to ask ourselves how we New Testament believers approach the idea of obedience. I really actually think it's worth pausing. Because Paul is quite a believer in faith works. So much so that he would jokingly reference the idea in this letter. And we're going to walk through the whole letter here in just a moment, uh, Brent. But 
there's a quote in the middle of the letter. Paul says this to Philemon. He says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Paul says, I'm an apostle. I could just tell you what to do, Philemon. What would that be, Brent? Law works or faith works? Law works. Law works. But yet I prefer, Paul goes on to say, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It's none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. There's some of that humor, I think, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. I love this play on his name here. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Paul appeals to Philemon on the basis of love to do the right thing, on the basis of faith works. Sarcastically, he lays on the good, the good-humored guilt, talking about how he's of old age and how fond he is of Onesimus. All right, Brent, so before we close, uh, let's actually just walk through the letter. I want to point out some of the humor, some of the lightheartedness. Let's just walk through the whole letter of Philemon. It's going to be a huge task here. What do we got, like 17 verses? How long is the letter of Philemon? Oh, 25. We're Ooh, breaking 25. the bank here. Whew, whew. All right. Let's go ahead and read the letter. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so Paul starts off, and he CCs, if this is an email, he CCs the whole church. So this isn't just a letter between Paul and Philemon. He, Paul is telling Philemon, you need to read this. By the way, you need to send my greeting to this handful of people, and you need to read this whole letter in front of the whole church. So the whole church gets to hear this. This isn't like a private correspondence that he can just kind of slip underneath the desk. Paul's making sure that everybody hears this letter because when this is all done, next week, somebody's going to elbow Philemon and go, hey, Philemon, what did you decide to do about the whole Onesimus thing? Like this is... This is a tongue-in-cheek, smirking Paul CCing the whole church on this conversation. Go ahead. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now... Is he buttering him up there? You could say I'm reaching. I don't know. It feels to me in in the context of the larger letter here that Paul's kind of laying this on a little thick, little smirk, little twinkle in his eye as he talks about how much he means Philemon means to him and how much he hopes that this is all a blessing. Go ahead. I mean, I could see it that way, but I could also see it like, no, this really is who Philemon is. And, Absolutely. And in this one area, he's veered off course and it's like, hey, remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are my son. Remember who you are. Right. Something like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a possibility. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. There's that law works, faith works at work there. Okay. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. And again, the extremes there. An old man, a prisoner in Christ Jesus. I appeal to you, my son, this very familiar term, familial term, the son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Just this really thick over the topness. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him 
who is my very heart. There you go. This th- thick, just, <laughs> he is my very heart. Back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for <laughs> oh, the gospel. snap. <laughs> but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Voluntary, of course, because he's just cc'd the whole church on this conversation. So this is really voluntary, of course. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Now, again, I want to pause here because this is a pretty lighthearted. It, Onesimus could be executed. Like if this is about execution, Paul's taking a really lighthearted, soft slant on this. But if this is a, a joking, tongue-in-cheek, like Onesimus, like Philemon, you know what you got to do here. There's no way. I don't think Paul actually has any inkling that Onesimus is going to exit, excuse me, that Philemon is going to execute Onesimus when he shows up. I think Paul knows exactly who Philemon is, exactly who the church in Colossae is. I think he knows that they're going to do the right thing. I think Onesimus is probably shaking in his boots when he shows up on Paul's doorstep in Rome. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine. And I think Rome, I think, I think Paul probably spent some time with Onesimus in Rome, convincing him like, you know, the right thing to do is to go back home. And I can picture Onesimus saying, I'm not going back home. They're going to kill me. And Paul writing this letter and says, all right, I'm going to do this whole patronage thing. I'm going to write a letter for you. You need to make sure you hand this to Onesimus. And I picture, no, Onesimus, hand it to Philemon. I picture Onesimus getting back to Colossae and knocking on the door. Philemon opening the door, Onesimus handing it like flinching and going, read this first, read this first. And I think Paul just has this really, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Like, is Philemon really going to be able to kill Onesimus if Paul is saying, hey, you got to welcome him like you'd welcome me. Are you going to kill me? No, you're not going to kill me. He's a brother now. So go ahead. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Oh, man. That's a nice little heavy-handed little... Uh, little juke there. Go ahead. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. <laughs> and one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with your spirit. Yeah. So there's that. I, I just, I just think that's just a beautiful letter. Uh, I've always found my understanding of this letter to be a great reminder of the lightness that we should carry in our walk of faith. The way we should be committed to the right things is so much so that we are able to smile and elbow our neighbor about what we ought to do. Always having a profound belief that the way of Jesus is truly the best way to live. Whether or not we set people free from their debts and mistakes shouldn't really be an argument for people who follow Jesus. I'm going to read that line again. Whether or not we set people free from their debts and mistakes really shouldn't be an argument for people who follow Jesus. And helping people see that they are true members of God's household is always a privilege and a joy. And I just don't know if we could pull this off in today's culture. I don't know. Man, we argue about everything, don't we? We get on Facebook and... It doesn't seem like anything is something we can assume. I don't know if we even agree on some of the minor, most simplest concepts, but I sure hope. It's probably just a bad day to catch me today. A little bit of 
little bit of pessimism creeping in. But man, I, I, I hope that we are a people that still believe in some, some basics, that there are some basic ideas that should be so true that we could just kind of send a lighthearted tongue-in-cheek letter and say, hey, you, you know what you got to do. There's no conversation here. This isn't about a morality code. This isn't about what God demands. You know, I could, I could write and tell you what to do, but instead I appeal to you on the basis of love. Just do the right thing. You know what to do with a returned slave. You know what to do. They can't even be a slave anymore. They need to be a brother. So there you go, Brent. The book, The Small Little Letter of Philemon. It's a good one. It's good. All right. Uh, if you have any questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, whatever, go to baymodestepship.com. You can find all of the contact information you need there. And we will talk to you again next week. Yeah. If you want to you know, study this thing in context, come and join us in Turkey. Ooh, I like it. Because uh, it's a whole lot more fun reading this letter on top of the tell to Colossae. Yep. Sign up for Bama Messenger on the on the news page, and, and you'll be alerted when we have our next turkey trip up for sign up. Yep. You got it. All right. Thanks for joining us on the Bama Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Two and 14. Worst team in the league. Is it? Yep. Number one draft pick. Let's do this thing. Well, you know, I believe that anything is possible because the Dolphins beat the Patriots. Yep. And we almost and beat the Dolphins to have a third win the week before. The Niners beat the Seahawks in spite of yep. their best efforts. Yep. All right. This is the Baymaw Sports Podcast. <laughs> Baymaw Sports Talk. We we love our uh, our arena, don't we? <laughs> Helenism to the max. Who day? All right.